We're starting a new series, just a little two-part series today, Prayer That Transforms. Would you turn to that person next to you and say, Prayer That Transforms. The preacher's five-year-old daughter was noticing that right before her daddy went up to preach, that he would bend his head for just a moment and say a few words and kind of mumble under his breath. And so one day she asked him, he said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm just praying. I'm praying that, uh, that my message would go well, that it would, that it would change people's lives, that it would be impactful. And then she looked at him. She says, well, how come God doesn't answer prayers? Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Oh, all right. Anyway. <laughs> uh, today, as we jump in, let me title for you, kind of explain what prayer is. Prayer is communication with God. It's not contemplation, but it's direct engagement. Prayer is actually communication with the living God. Uh, some people think that just by sitting and watching the trees and the squirrels, that that's prayer. Prayer is actually engaging the living God in communication. And Martin Luther said it like this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible um, than, to, uh, than to be alive without breathing. So for a Christian, prayer is us breathing, if you will. It's communication. And uh, so our key scripture with today's teaching is found in James chapter 4 and verse 8. If you'll turn there as quickly as you can, we'll have it on the screen for those of you uh, that don't have a Bible with you. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says it like this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, we, that's actually King James Version. We put NIV on the screen, but NIV actually says it like this, uh, come near to God and he will come near to you. I wanted to use the, the draw near from the King James Version because it gives a little bit more of a middle picture of drawing into someone to, to, to literally draw close to them, if you will. And so in, here in the book of James, what's happening, if you'll open up in the first part of the chapter four, James is dealing with the fact that the church has all this disunity. He says, man, you're gossiping, you're slandering, you got all this difficulty amongst yourself, and he's really rebuking them for it. And then he moves into, and then at the same time, part of your problem is, is that when you pray, God doesn't answer your prayers. And he says, because you, you pray with the wrong motives. You pray with selfish ambition so that even if God were to answer it, that you could use what God gave you for your own evil desires, for your own, for your own selfish ambition. And so he's rebuking them. And as he goes through it, he goes down to, if you will, the next few verses. And he says, so church, submit to God, resist the devil and he'll flee. And then he moves this draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He's talking about engaging the living God. And prayer, friend, is less about saying a little check-off list of things and much more about engaging the God that you serve, the living God, engaging with him, draw near. And, and for some of you, it's hard to have a good prayer life. I know for me, growing up in, um, in Christianity in the 80s and the 90s, we were taught if you couldn't pray for an hour, then what kind of Christian are you? In fact, it was titled, could you not tarry? Could you not tarry for an hour? And the problem was, I could not tarry. I couldn't do it. I was so frustrated because, you know, I'm just the personality that's a little different. You know, we get to praying and 15 minutes into it, I'm done. What else y'all want to talk about? I mean, I'm done. It's like, what else are we going to pray for? And God, pray for the trees and the, and the interstate to work. But I didn't know what else to pray. And, and the reason that was is because no one taught me that prayer was less about a checkoff list and so much more about communicating and just engaging the, little, uh, the living God. And, and when, when he says here, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Some of you struggle to have a strong prayer life because drawing near to someone, especially God, is hard for you maybe because of your personality. I know it's hard for me to draw near to someone who maybe is mad at me. You know how that is. Have you ever, have you ever went somewhere and there was your ex-girlfriend in a room full of people? And you didn't go draw near to them. You drew away from them. 
And for some of you, because you feel like God's mad at you, even praying uh, to draw near to him, he's like, nah, God's mad at me. Or, or because maybe you're mad at God because of what happened back in the day or what so-and-so did. And, and so you're kind of mad at God. So you don't draw near. And when you don't draw near, he can't draw near. Draw near to God so that he will draw near to you. Because the reason why is because he's God. He's God. And so when you and I draw near to him, he responds and draws near to us. That's what James is teaching the early church who are having these conflicts and these struggles and being mad at each other and can't seem to break through and their prayers are not working and they're writing to him like, hey, how come we pray and nothing's happening? And so he's teaching them about the conflict that they're having amongst themselves. He's teaching them about the motive of their heart. And then he starts teaching them how to draw near. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And when it comes down to drawing near, and prayer is simply this, communicating with the living God. And can I just help you? Some of you are not good communicators. I've not always been a good communicator. And when James is saying, draw near to God, the reason why he's saying that is because when you and I draw near, we start realizing who that person is. You think about the person you're the closest with, the person that, that, that you know better than anyone else. You're near to them. And you communicate with them on a daily basis, probably on a moment-by-moment basis throughout the day. In fact, you end up, if you don't, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you end up acting like the person that you are close with. You start taking on their characteristics. Uh, Will Cavacante is here today, one of my closest friends, and he's Brazilian. And every time I'm around, around Will, I start acting Brazilian. I can't help it. After I spend a few hours with him, I'm like, man, I know, right? And then when I get around my Hispanic friends, I don't even know I'm doing it. I start rolling my R's. Jim, man, I'll tell you right now, Pastor, you're the best. And I start doing that. I don't even know I'm doing it. And they'll look at me like, dude, you're a white guy. Why are you doing that? And I can't help it because I'm, I'm spending time with them. I'm, I'm drawing near. When I, when I come back from Asia, I take my shoes off at the door. My wife's like, why are these shoes out here? I'm like, oh, oh, you're right. I'm not Asian. Let me pick them up and bring them on inside. And it's just it, because when you spend time with someone, you start taking on their characteristics, their nature. And the reason why some of you don't act like God, know God that well, is because you don't spend time with him. You don't engage him. And so that's why prayer is critical. And unfortunately, you've been taught that prayer was a moment, was a checkoff box, was a list of petitions that you give to God, and somehow he will fix those. Can I help you? Prayer is about communication. Let me give you a little bit of standardization by which I live when it comes to communicating. A little, a little, if you will, a little graph or a little system by which I live. They're, they're up on the screen. The key pieces in any relationship is communication. And so here's a little formula that I live by. No communication equals no relationship. Anytime we're in counseling, you know, counseling a husband and wife and they're mad at each other, it usually comes down to this right here. No communication. So they have no relationship. But he has good communication with the secretary at, at the office and has good relationship with them. Or how about this next one? How about bad communication equals what? Bad relationship. If the only time, sir, that you talk to your kids is when you're fussing at them, what you're going to have is a bad relationship. And then, likewise, good communication equals what? Good relationship. Good communication will equal good relationship. And so the problem with most Christians is they don't have any good communication with their God. At best, we might have a nominal 
communication, and therefore we have a nominal relationship. Oh, but the old folks of days gone past, the old grandiose Christians, they understood that there has to be daily communication and engagement. And unfortunately, the way they engage may not be the way our culture, our generation engage. And so we have to learn to communicate on our style of communication. For me, growing up, could not pray for an hour. I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. It just, I, I, I was too ADDDHD. I mean, I'm 10 minutes into it. Like, let's go. Let's do something. Like, all right, I prayed about it. Why do I have to keep reminding him? I know if you were kept, would you bring me to Walmart? Will you bring me to Walmart? At some point, I'm like, no, shut up. And so that's how I felt like with God. So I don't sit there with God and beg and plead and beg and plead and that kind of stuff. I just present it and I engage with him and then I go on. And so what I learned was there are probably, if you will, multiple types of communication. But I want to break down what I see as just kind of two main pieces of the way people communicate. We'll start with the first group. And I call you the set timers. Set timers. You communicate in a timely way. You have meetings with people. You meet for 30 minutes. You meet for an hour. It's a set time. And for some of you, that's how your prayer life needs to be. You need to set a time. Billy Graham was a man like that. Look what Billy Graham wrote about prayer. He said, in the morning, prayer is the key that opens us up to the treasures of God's mercies and blessings. In the evening, it is the key that shuts us up under his protection and safeguard. Obviously, Billy Graham, great man of God, had these times set in the morning where he would pray and he'd seek the Lord and engage Jesus in communication. And then obviously towards the end of the day, he would re-engage him in a set time frame. And that's how God made him. But then there's another group of people that I call the all the timers. All the timers. Some of you are married to them. All the time. They're people who just communicate all day long. And once I realized that there were different forms of communication, it helped me to realize I can communicate with God, maybe not the way Billy Graham did, but I'm an all-the-time communicator. And Smith Wigglesworth was one of the greatest revivalists, healing revivalists of our time. And he wrote this, I don't often spend more than half an hour in prayer, but I never go more than half an hour without praying. When I found that years ago, it set me free. And I started realizing, wait a minute, I'm not going to be the guy who gets up at 6 a.m., and oh, Father God, Father God, Father God. Oh, Father God, I thank you, Father God. I'm just not that guy. But all throughout the day, and I do have a morning prayer time, morning devotion time, but, but all throughout the day, I never let 30 minutes go without, without engaging Jesus. I'm always communicating to him. And some of you, that's how you are. And not, you know how I know that? Because if you give me your phone and I go through your feed and find out who's the last few people you've been texting, you've been texting the same five people all day, all morning, throughout the day. They're your friends. That's how you communicate. Well, maybe that's your style. Maybe for others of you, I need to look in your, calendar, in, in your day timer and realize you have appointment after appointment after appointment after appointment. And that may be your style. But at the end of the day, you and I, no communication equals good communication equals. And you and I want a good relationship with our Savior. Are you with me? Say yes. Do you believe that? Say yes. So I want to teach you today as your pastor. I want to teach you how to draw in to a real communicative relationship with your Savior. When you have times of engaging Jesus in prayer, what can that look like? What are some of kind of the premises? Now, some of you grew up and they told you this is how to pray. And they gave you the words of Jesus when he taught his disciples how to pray. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, hey, we don't know how to pray. He gave them, if you will, an outline. He didn't give them special words that transform those words. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. As if that's, those words specifically, supernaturally, God goes, someone's praying the Lord's prayer. Let us respond. 
That's not at all what Jesus is doing. He's saying, this is how you should pray. I'm going to give you a model of how to engage because you don't know how to engage the living Savior. You don't know how to engage Father God. And so what he did was gave him a model. And I'm extracting some of this from here and through the other passage of Scripture. But when you pray, when you engage God, when you communicate, it should be, number one, a time of, number one, sanitizing the soul. It should be a time of sanitizing the soul. You and I live in a wicked world. And I promise you, you and I get affected by that wicked world. You may be a Christian, and you may have asked Jesus into your life. Holy Spirit lives on the inside, but I'll tell you, the outside starts affecting us. In fact, Jesus, in praying over his disciples right before he leaves the planet, John chapter 17, verse 15, he says this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He says, listen, Father, I don't ask that you extract the believer from this horrible world. I just ask that you protect them in the midst of it. See, we're in the world, but not of it, as the old preacher used to say. We're in it, but not of it. But if you're all day long working with a person who's cussing and spitting and talking bad about people, it affects you. You get that text message. You know, you were having a good day with Jesus, had some good prayer time, and you're driving to work. You get that text message, boy, what? And now anger starts affecting you. And you get to work, and Lord Jesus, everybody run, because here he, here he comes, Mr. Popper Bear, who got a bad text message. And it affected you. And you and I need to learn how to communicate with God. And one of the pur- purposes in that communication should be sancti- uh, 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 literally sanctification, or as I'm using it, you know, sanitizing. That he sanitized the wickedness of this world. In fact, Jesus, as he's having that discussion with the Father, don't take him out of the world. Just protect him in it. He said, protect them. Protect them from the stress. Protect them from the worry. Protect them from the perversion. God, protect these, your sons and daughters, from all this. It gets on us. You can go back in our, in, in our archives and you can see where I preached a message last year called Degreased. That you and I have to degrease because it gets on us. And that's one of the first things I do when I get in the presence of the Lord and, I just, and I'm just praying and I'm spending some time with it and communicating. I start degreasing. I start sanitizing my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. Why? Because I got to pull down every high thought and make it obedient to Christ. I got to pull it down because I start thinking, well, what did they mean in that Facebook post? What were they trying to say? Why don't they just call me, big sissy? Call me if you want to say something. See, I got I to gotta, I gotta get that out. I got to get that sanitizer. Are you with me? Say yes. Back in the day uh, when I graduated high school, first thing I did is I took a job at a chemical plant in Louisiana where we're from. And all along the Mississippi River, they had these chemical plants. And, uh, and I took a job in, uh, at, at this plant called Famosa. And one of the things that we were dealing with chlorine, we were dealing with, with uh, very toxic chemicals. And one of the things that they make you do if you work in a chemical plant is when you get there, you take your clothes off and put their uniform on. And then you work all day long in their, in their chemical plant. And then as you go to leave, they make you shower and they use specialized soap. And you take those clothes off and you throw them in a bin. And then they go and they sanitize those clothes. You put on your clothes that you, that you came to work in and you, take on, you go home in your home clothes. And I learned then and there that although you and I may be uh, gloriously serving God, that we work in a daily day environment that will get chemical on us, if you will. And we have to sanitize that throughout the day. And I have to stop sometimes and just say, Lord, I need your help right now because right now I'm so angry. I am so mad. Lord, right now I need you to clean this up out of my brain. I need you to clean me up because right now I'm acting a fool and this is not like you. Because at the end of the day, you and I want to be transformed. We're talking about prayer that transforms us. I want to be transformed. I don't want to be the same man I've always been. And so talk, thinking about sanitation, I just thought about this clip that I thought you should watch. And this is Tim Hawkins talking about how the church does so good at uh, being sanitary. And I thought you would like this for a moment, so we'll play it for you. Yeah. 
There's a lot of hand sanitizer in church. Anybody notice that? I don't know. At my church, they have these two hand sanitizer stations right by the front door greeters. That is not a good message. People come in on Sunday. How you doing? Nice to see you all. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. You're going to love it here. We just love people. You can just be yourself. You can just be yourself. We don't care. We don't judge you. We just love. You sit back, and whatever questions you have, you let us know. We'll let you know whatever we can do for you, okay? Y'all newly married? You got four kids? Four kids. That is amazing. God love. We love kids here. Kids are like a little gift from God is what they are. They are just wonderful little creatures that God gives us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where y'all from? Arkansas? Okay. Hey, can you imagine if church was like that? But we do. Some of you feel like when you come into church, you're the one who's not sanitized. And you walk in and you think, well, everyone else is holy and everyone else is sanitized. Can I just tell you, we are all saved by grace and we're all sinners doing our best to serve the living God. So you're no worse than the rest of us. And you don't, don't walk into this holy building is so holy that you can't even walk into the presence. Just the opposite. Jesus Christ, his blood that was shed on the Calvary is to sanctify us and to make us clean and to make us whole. And friend, every day as you engage the living God, one of the processes that should be happening is you need to let him sanitize your soul. Jesus, I need your help. Right now, I'm really Really, I'm drawn back into the perversion of the past. Jesus, I'm really struggling not to cheat on my spouse. Jesus, I need your help. Sanctify, sanitize me from this old worldly mess and all the junk of this life. Here's point number two. If you and I are going to draw into relationship with Jesus and engage him in prayer, then it should also, number two, be a time of refreshing the commitment. Write that down. Refreshing the commitment. Refreshing the commitment. When you read throughout the Psalms, you hear David. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. He was constantly refreshing the commitment. Look what he says in Psalms chapter 9 and verse 1 and 2. I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. David woke up every morning. Jesus, you are Lord. God, you are the living God. Jehovah, I will serve you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength. In fact, can I tell you, when I engage Jesus daily, I tell him, I am committed to you. You are my Lord and Savior. I refresh our commitment. Do you know why you do date nights? To refresh the commitment. Why? Because we get to moving so fast, don't we? You get to over here, she's working her job, you're working your job, the kids are over at soccer and school and you're trying to get them all back. And so you pause your week, you try to, to have date night. And the only reason you do that is to refresh the commitment. Refresh the commitment. We were doing counseling not so long ago and the wife was just mad. She was ticked off at this guy. He's just sitting there real quiet. And she said, he don't love me. He does not love me. And finally, after a while, he goes, yes, I do. She goes, no, you don't. You never tell me. And he stood up. He said, I told you 25 years ago when we got married, and if I had changed my mind, I'd have let you know. And that's how some of you approach your Christian walk. Well, I got saved 30 years ago. I don't know what the problem is. I'll tell you what the problem is, is every day you and I have to refresh that commitment to say, Jesus, I'm with you. No matter what happens, no matter what the world does, no matter what does, no, what gets done dirty to me, I will forgive, I will let go, I am with you, I am committed to this relationship. And I wake up every day, and, I, and the reason why I can be life-giving no matter who does me dirty is because I have learned to refresh the commitment. I am yours, you are mine. You died on a cross for me, I will live for you forever and ever and ever and ever. I meant it when I said it, you know, 30 years ago, and I mean it now. Today, I am yours forever and ever and ever. And free, can you imagine, can you be imagine being uh, waking up early morning next to a woman who looks at you and says, 
baby, I'm yours forever. I'm here. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And even when you act a fool like you did last night, I'm going to stay close to you. I tell you I love you. I tell you what, sir, you would go to work. Boy, I change the world. I'll tell you right now. And I think what happens is, is that we don't refresh that commitment every day, all throughout the day. I have to refresh that commitment. Jesus, I'm committed to you because if I would not kill this person right now driving down this highway, I'm telling you right now, I would have a prison ministry because this is not right. <laughs> but I refresh that commitment all throughout the day. Here's the, if you will, the third area that I would train you and teach you that if you're going to engage the living God, then it should be a time, number three, of refilling the Spirit, refilling the Spirit. Now, this doesn't get talked about a lot in church. It doesn't get taught, and people struggle with it doctrinally. But I'm just going to lay it out for you the best I can understand it and how I see it in Scripture. Acts chapter 4, there's this moment. Let me back you up. Jesus has died. The book of Acts opens up with Jesus having died, resurrected, appeared for over 40 days to over 500 people, and then he ascends into heaven. And he tells in the chapter 1, we see the refreshing of him having told the disciples, go and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that my Father promised is going to be poured out on you, and, that, and, and it'll be a sign that, you know, that you're mine, as well as uh, you, will be, uh, you will be empowered to be my witnesses, to be like me. And so in Acts chapter 2, they're all in a room, about 120 of them. They're praying, and the power of the Holy Spirit falls on them. They all get baptized, if you will, in the Holy Spirit. They begin to pray in other languages and speak in other tongues. And then they go out of that house. There's a giant festival happening, almost like a big parade happening around that area. And they go out, and they just start sharing the gospel. And 3,000 people get saved in one moment. Supernatural. And so from that point forward, it says that they committed themselves to prayer and fasting and all these different things. And one particular day, they go and they get this lame man healed, Peter and John. And then the, the Jewish leaders get really ticked off. And the reason why they're getting ticked off is because literally the Christians are getting people to change from Judaism to following Jesus. And what, it, they weren't even called Christians yet, but it was called the way. And so the Jewish leaders get ticked off about it, and they have the power to imprison them. So they go get Peter and John. They put them in prison. They try to intimidate them. They bring them in front of everybody to intimidate them. And they say, if you don't stop preaching this in Jesus' name, we're going to have you killed. And, and Peter stands up and he says to them, he says, listen, whether it's right for us to obey you or obey God, you decide, but we're going to serve God no matter what. And so they end up releasing them. And then when you pick up where we're going to read here now in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Who are their own people? The other believers. They went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together and they did what? And they what? They did what? They prayed or the, together in prayer to God. They raised up their voices in prayer to God. And then the next few verses list what they prayed, how they prayed, what they said. And then when you get down to verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And I would explain to you, as you and I go throughout our day, we are filled with the Holy Spirit as believers. I believe in a baptism in the Holy Spirit, a second experience from just the salvation experience where the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. In fact, here at Church on the Hill, we want everyone to have this beautiful experience, and we also want you to have the power of a beautiful prayer language. I pray in other tongues. I'm so grateful for my prayer language. We do not believe that if you do not pray in tongues, you don't go to heaven. That's stupid. You go to heaven because you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you serve him all your days. And so what we see, though, is people have misappropriated that. So some people are scared of a prayer language. They don't know the intimate relationship they can have with the living God and have a beautiful prayer language. But when I received my prayer language, something supernatural started happening to me. I began to have like secret code talk, if you will, to God. 
and he would download to me. It's magnificent. And we don't, you don't see us make a big spectacle of that here at Church on the Hill. But what we do offer is every quarter we offer an encounter retreat where we teach you about that, work through some of the misappropriations of doctrine, and help you decide whether or not you want to receive that. Then we'll pray with you to receive a beautiful, wonderful prayer language, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's magnificent. And guess what? A little shameless plug. We've got an encounter retreat coming up here in a couple weeks. So you could pull out your app, and you could get online, and you can go ahead and register for that encounter retreat, and it'll change your life on a Friday night right here, supernaturally. And so as they come out of this time of being intimidated, of trying to like threaten to kill them, so as they begin to pray with the believers, as they're praying and they finish up their time of prayer the spirit of the lord comes back on them and it says and fills them why did they need to be filled if they were filled just weeks earlier at the day of pentecost because as you and i pour out as you and i go on, go through things and difficulty it's almost like I, I picture a giant bucket of water or oil whatever you may as i pour it out i need it to be refreshed and i don't know about you but it's hard for me some days Life has dealt me so many difficult blows that I can't do it in my own strength. And I've got to retreat a little bit and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to refresh me, refill me, fill me up to the top so I can be gracious and kind and I can walk in you and do what you want me to do. And friend, I'll tell you something. Many of you are dry and frustrated and you're bouncing around from different meetings because you don't know how to get before God yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to refill you. So you'll find these people, they'll go running from revival service to revival service trying to get refilled, if you will, simply because they don't know how to walk that out in a daily basis. And I don't have to go run to that, not because I'm so great, just simply because when I sit before the Lord and I have times of prayer and engagement, I just say, Lord, fill me fresh. Fill me fresh. Jesus, come. Fill me fresh. Holy Spirit, fill me up to the top. So I'm not even worried about those things. Fill me up with boldness and fresh courage. Lord, I want to be yours all my days. Are you with me? Say yes. The other day, I drive a 2009 Murano, Nissan Murano. And the other day, it started click, 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 tack, 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 tack. I could hear the knocking in the engine. And I was, it was one of those days. You're like, what else can go wrong? Anybody had one of those? So like now my car is finally paid for. Now it's going to break down. It's only got 130,000 miles. I don't know about you guys. We drive them till the wheels fall off. So, so we're like, you know, you got to be kidding me. I finally got it paid off. Now this is happening. I was so frustrated. I was so agitated. I pulled over and I uh, popped the hood. I'm like, oh, it's about to throw a rod. The engine is toast. Nissan stink. I mean, I went through this. I mean, just, I was so mad, right? Nissan, I'll never buy another Nissan. I turned it off and I sit there, you know, and I'm mad. I'm sitting there and it cools down. I finally, I go and I get the dipstick and I pull out the dipstick and I check the oil. There's none in it. I have driven this little car with no oil. So what do I do? I go and I buy some oil. It takes five quarts of oil. I stand in front of that Nissan and go, you're the greatest car ever. I love you. You should have blew up on me. Can I tell you something? We all need refreshing, refilling. Come on now. You need a refreshing and refilling. We all need it. I'm going to tell you right now. So that's why some of you are running hot. You're frustrated. You can't get past some things. You don't know why, because you need a refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when they, when they, got, when they got refreshed in the Holy Spirit, guess what happened? They were giving everything away. Look, just take it. I, I just love you, man. It's amazing. As you read through the book of Acts, what happened to the community of believers once the Holy Spirit came upon them and the refreshing of God had happened? It's unreal. It really is. And you and I, both of us, all of us, we need to get before the Lord on a daily basis and ask for a refilling of the Holy Spirit. Here's my fourth and final thing that needs to happen. When you and I engaged in communication with the living God, what needs to happen in that moment is we need to then petition for needs. Petitioning for needs. God's not mad that you have needs. He's a good father, and he loves, he loves to meet our needs. I do think that some of us approach him with the wrong attitude. 
I do think we approach him with the wrong attitude. And I would say to you, instead of asking God, give me, give me, give me, maybe you could approach petitioning for needs with show me, show me, show me. Let me give you an example. God, I need you to give me this. God, I need this, and I need, I need you to give me this. Opposed to, God, would you show me how I can get a better job and provide for my family? Lord, can you show me why me and my wife can't seem to talk? Can you show me why my kid is struggling with their sexuality? Can you show me? Instead of give me this, give me an answer, give me this. I think the better approach, I don't know about you, but when my children come and say, give me, I say, oh yeah, all right. How about I teach you by whooping? You know, I, I, I want to. And the reason why is because give me, listen to this, give me is a statement of irresponsibility. In other words, you, I want what you've got, give it to me. I'm not responsible for the situation. You're the one responsible, and that's why I don't have what I need. Show me is a request for enlightenment that leads to solutions. Show me is a request for enlightenment that leads to solutions. I believe a lot of our prayers don't get answered because we're acting like selfish little children. I believe with all of my heart, the Bible is very clear, that God loves to give good gifts to his children. So it's got to be an attitude issue versus his heart. Because his heart is to answer all of our prayers. If we seek him, we'll find him. If we ask, it shall be given unto us. So I think there's an attitude adjustment that Jewish people understood a little bit better than we do some 2,000 years later after this is being written. The early church grasped it because it was from a heart of revival that they could ask and say, Lord, show me. Show me how to get a breakthrough in this. Lord, show me what I need to do to be able to provide for my family. Lord, show me what's going on with this situation at work instead of give me, give me, give me. And I think when you and I make that shift, something supernatural happened. Billy Graham said it like this, every day has exactly 1,440 minutes. Can't you find even 10 of them to be with your heavenly father? Doesn't God deserve the best minutes of your day? As your pastor today, I want to challenge you to be people who pray to be people who communicate. Your communication doesn't have to be like mine or like your wife's. And, and ladies, some of you are just killing your husband because you're expecting them to be a spiritual leader of your family, but they don't communicate the way you communicate. You communicate, you know, 80,000 words a day. They communicate 10,000 words a day. And so, 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 so you can't expect them to communicate the way you communicate. But sir, you need, to, you need to have an engagement with the living God. He's your God. He wants to engage with you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Stop standing at a distance and say, well, I don't need to ask him for anything. I got this. You know what? That's pride. That's arrogance. You and I need to draw near to God, and he'll draw near to us. You and I need to get engaged with the living God, and he'll engage with us. He loves us. You know how you become like Jesus? You engage Jesus. You spend time with Jesus, you'll start acting like Jesus would act. I can feel it all the time in my life when I haven't been spending the proper engagement time with the Lord. And again, not for three hours on this day or 17 hours over here. But for me, it's all throughout the day when I've just kind of gotten so busy that I didn't even bring him into the day-to-day activity. When I've done that, I can almost feel like he's standing like, can I come in? Can I be a part of this? You know, I can fix this. And I feel that sometimes. I realize that I've just pushed him out, just daily making decisions for the church, for you. And I realize, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And so this last week, I have been putting into practice what I've taught you guys here today, asking in that engagement. In fact, I took a picture of myself as I have been engaging the living God. Would you put that on the screen for me? And, and as I put these things into place, you can see that I am literally being transformed into his image. It's amazing how it's happening. 
Come on, stand with me all across the room. Stand with me. I got you. You didn't know what was about to happen. Everybody who was texting their friend didn't even see it. That's what just like. I believe that Jesus not only loves us, but he wants to have a day-to-day relationship with us. I believe the closer that I get to him, the more I become like him. I'm ashamed that after all these years of being a servant of Jesus Christ, that I still don't act like him in some areas. Still don't look like him in some areas. I know that you sometimes show up in our gatherings feeling the shame, feeling unsanitized, if you will, thinking that everyone else is holy and sanitized. But I would remind you that we all live in the same old dirty world. And we all have temptations. But we serve the living God who overcame every one of those. And that really, if you want 2019 to be a little bit different, one of the things I would challenge you to do, whatever style is, works for you, whatever communication style works for you, to communicate with your living Savior, to engage Him, draw near to Him, and He'll draw near to you. And I promise you, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you spend time with Him, the more you engage Him in prayer and discussion, the more you'll start looking like Him and acting like Him and respond in the way He would respond, not the way old Adam McCain would respond. And Frank, can I tell you something? That's all He's ever wanted. All He's ever wanted is you. He just wanted you. He didn't want your dead religion. He didn't want you to say some magical words called the Lord's Prayer and somehow that was going to supernaturally do things. He just wants to engage with you. You're his son. You're his daughter. As you get older and your kids get older and they start running around with people, having their friends, having their families, those of you a little older, explain to me, so you know, it can become lonely sometimes. And I think that's how God feels sometimes. We get so busy doing for him that we stop engaging with him. We get so busy working for God that we stop knowing God. And I would challenge you that you can be transformed. There's a prayer engagement that will transform you. If you don't like you, start communicating to God because he sure does love you. And as you draw near, what will he do? He'll draw near in return. You should bow your heads with me across the room. Let's take a moment. Now today, I know for some of us, We've been under this auspices that prayer is what people who are really spiritual do. Prayer is what really good Christians do. And and you've not felt like a really good Christian. There's no such thing in God. There are his sons and his daughters. There are his sons and daughters who are rebellious that he's disciplining. And there are those who refuse to be his sons and daughters that he's trying to reach and bring into the family. Today, you just need to settle once and for all that you're committed to him because he sure is committed to you. And in that, you need to settle in your heart that your prayer time may not look like Billy Graham's. It may not look like your wives or your husbands. It may not look like the pastor from the last church you came from and the teaching of intercession that you used to teach everywhere. It may not be that season right now. It may not be like that. But friend, can I tell you, please, 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 don't write off communication. Don't write it off. Don't say, well, it didn't work. So I don't engage. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. So, oh, yeah, but I think he's mad at me. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. I'm mad at him. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. I, I just don't know how to do it. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. I don't think he cares that you fumble. 
and you don't really know what to say. Think about somebody that you love who maybe don't know how to talk to you. You're not so mad that they don't know how to talk to you. You just wish that they would try to engage you. That's all he wants. And I pray that today you would start into the type of prayer that transforms you. Father, I ask you right now in Jesus' name for every man and woman in our church, Lord, that they would be people of prayer. Lord, we call it prayer, but really it's, it's relationship with you, communication, engaging with you. God, I gave them a couple of the teachings out of your Holy Scriptures who really extracted the Lord's prayer and some of the model pieces that you were trying to teach us. God, I pray that they would recognize, oh God, that when they get with you on a daily basis, that that should be a time where they let you sanctify them, let you sanitize the old junk of this world, the bitterness of their heart, the, the misappropriation of what so-and-so did to them, and just be able to wash that clean and, and that not affect them. Lord, I, I pray right now in Jesus' name that each and every one of us would daily make a refreshing of our commitment to you. That, Lord God, that you would refill us, Holy Spirit. Refill us, refill us, refill us with your Spirit. We can walk through any kind of difficulty because the power of the Holy Spirit abiding in us, overtaking the things of this world. And then, Lord, I pray that our times of prayer, our times of engagement with you, Lord, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that, Lord God, that you would hear our petition and that we would know how to approach you properly with our needs. Lord, we, we have needs. They're real. And I know that you love, you love to care for your children. So teach us what that can look like. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you say, Pastor, i got to be honest with you today. I'm not a Christian. If I died today, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go to heaven. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I used to be. I used to be. A, I used to really love Jesus, but, but things happen, and I, I'm, I'm kind of separated from him right now. I'm divorced from him, maybe you would say. Friend, I got such good news. He doesn't hate you. I mean, you're here. You're drawing near. He's going to draw near to you. Maybe you say, Pastor, I, 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 you know, I'm ashamed. You know, I, I'm ashamed because I, I know better. Friend, I've lived in that shame. The Bible says that he will wash all shame from us. And the old man will pass away and everything can become new in this moment. You say, well, that's amazing. What do I do? The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's that simple. You say, really? Yeah. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that you have to light so many candles to be accepted. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that you have to give money to the church for Jesus to apply his work on the cross to your life it says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart you shall be saved and so today with every head bowed and every eye closed I'd like to pray for anyone who said pastor I'm away from God but I want to come home today or maybe you say I've never been a Christian but I want to become one today I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior I want to make a commitment to him today or I want to refresh my commitment I've been away from him I want to come back and renew my commitment pastor I've not been a Christian and I want to be one again today with every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call you forward, point you out. This is a deep, private decision. I know that I'm asking you to make that decision in a corporate setting, in a a large environment. But but I've got their heads bowed. Their eyes are closed. So I want you to be able to make this decision. And I want you to live it out. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, would you let me pray with you? Would you let 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 me lead you in a prayer of repentance? But I need you to take a little step forward and acknowledge that by simply lifting your hand. Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God. Today, I want to become a Christian. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, bro. Thanks. Thanks for real people, real honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Amen. You'll never be the same. You can put it back down. Is there anyone else? Give you about two seconds. Don't belabor the point. Don't, 
You're making a decision by not making a decision. What do you want? Do you want God or not? Do you want him in your life? Are you willing to bow your head? Bow your knee. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Do you want to make him Lord or not? Make a decision here and now. Here's your moment. Okay. God bless you. Making your decision to serve God. Amen. Let him be the Lord of your life. Anyone else? Amen. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer. A prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the whole congregation to pray out loud alongside of those of you who lifted your hand. Those who lifted your hand, one bit of instruction. Mean this from your heart. Mean this from your heart. Be sincere, as I know you are. And I promise you, the word says as you draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. As we pray this prayer, I'm telling you, you're going to feel and sense God's changing your life. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, come on out loud. Jesus, today I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I recognize I've sinned against you. And I've asked you now to forgive me. Wash me clean from my sin. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I belong to you. I will serve you all my days. I love you, Jesus. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who prayed that prayer, who meant it from the depths of their heart, who raised their hand and said, I want God. Lord, I pray right here, right now, that they would sense you drawing near. They would sense the joy of their salvation, as the word calls it. Lord God, that they would sense forgiveness. The Lord, they don't, have to, they don't have to perform. You did all the performance on the cross. You made a way where there was no way, and I thank you for that, Jesus. And I ask you now, Lord, that every one of these great men and women who lifted their hand, prayed that prayer, who've now been ushered into the family of God, who are accepted as sons and daughters, that they would sense they would know the peace and all the shame that they walked in here with and all the fear of being found out. The Lord, that's over. And the peace that comes from knowing the elephant is out of the room. Peace that comes from knowing God loves me and I'm right with him. And though I may make a hundred mistakes, even today, I'm his. And that's all that matters. Thank you, oh God, for your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.